Let our advanced worrying become advanced thinking and planning. Winston Churchill. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today we're talking about emergency planning. Anyone living through this time knows how quickly life can change and how truly unexpected those changes can be. But even when we see those shifts in our lives, the impact it can have, we don't want to spend time thinking about or planning for worst-case scenarios. Some people believe that planning for emergencies will somehow make them more likely. Some people feel that they're invincible and that global pandemics, disabilities, or injuries, or even premature death could just never happen to them. And many of us, we simply think we have time. Emergency and estate planning often falls into that important but not urgent area of our to-do list that gets pushed off time and time again. More than anything, though, we're scared. We know the realities of what could happen. We all have friends that have faced the unthinkable, or we've watched a movie and cried wondering, what if that happened to me, to my children? And our instinct is to push the thought away, to bury it and just hope that nothing bad ever happens, that we've done enough to make things okay. The problem with that is twofold. First, you may not actually be prepared. Avoiding emergency planning because it's hard can put your loved ones in a more difficult position if something happened than if you just faced your fears and made a plan. Emergency and estate planning is truly an act of love, something a little bit hard, a little bit scary, that we do because it's the best thing for our families. Second, avoiding the topic doesn't actually give you mental peace. It leaves this low-level anxiety and fear about What if scenarios? We're never going to have true clarity about the future or the perfect plan for every possible life outcome. There are just way too many variables. But there is true peace and contentment around knowing we've done the best we can, that we've put our finances in order, that we've had the conversations we've needed to have, that we've eliminated as much uncertainty as we realistically can. When we've done that, Those frightening what-if scenarios are more bounded. We know that the big things, caregiving, finances, housing, are taken care of. And we can push those thoughts out of our mind, not in a panicked, I can't handle thinking about that way, but in a, I don't know what will happen, but I know I've done the best for myself and my loved ones way. It's a powerful thing. So today, we're talking about effective emergency and estate planning. What's important, where you should start. We do have a free resource for you to download if you want to start your planning process our Financial Emergency Preparedness Checklist. You can grab your copy and view the full show notes of this episode at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 21. Are you ready? Let's get planning. The first step of effective emergency planning for every family is establishing a robust emergency fund. We've all heard of and talked about emergency funds many times. This is cash you have on hand to handle any major unexpected expense, layoff, health issue, really you name it. Ideally, we want three to six months of expenses saved in an emergency fund. And I know, especially when you're living paycheck to paycheck, that that feels super hard. So start with $500, then $1,000. If you're paying off high interest debt after your first $500 to $1,000 in savings, decide on a balance between building your emergency fund and paying off debt that feels best for you. There's no right or wrong answer here. But this is not an optional element of emergency planning, not something that some families can afford to skip. Families that are farther along on their financial journey might believe that they could just sell investments in an emergency to cover expenses, or that their job is lucrative enough or safe enough that they don't need to keep separate emergency savings. 
They may even buy into the idea that keeping any money in cash that isn't invested is quote-unquote wasting the returns that money could otherwise get in the market. The thing is, no job is 100% secure. No pension is 100% secure. And we don't ever want to be in a place where we're forced to sell investments at a big loss. Because, as we're seeing with the COVID-19 crisis, the time you're most likely to lose your job is when everyone else is, in a downturn. Keep three to six months of emergency savings, possibly up to a year if you are a freelancer or have a job that is particularly unpredictable. Keep it in a separate bank account so you aren't tempted to spend those dollars on Chipotle runs. Ideally, that separate account would be a high-yield savings account. That way you're at least earning something on your dollars. And if you're listening to this like, yeah, I'm rocking this step, then make sure you've taken it to the next level. A pro tip is to have separate accounts, one in your name and one in your spouse's name, each with some funds in it, $1,000 or so. Joint accounts are great, and in the event of your partner's passing, you should have full access to those funds. But at some banks, you can lose account access for a few days, even up to a few weeks, while they process the death certificate or transfer your account to a solo account. With small separate accounts, you'll at least know you have a little cash to pull on, no matter what. And remember, this is the same for credit cards. Make sure you each have at least one card in your own name so you have consistent access to credit, even if one of you is no longer around. The goal with your emergency fund is to give you options and access to the things you most need, no matter what happens. It's a main pillar of planning. So what comes next after your emergency fund? It's time now to talk about proper insurance. How do we insure, little wordplay for you there, that we have the money we need to cover the big, big expenses, the ones our emergency fund just can't handle? a major health crisis, a tree falling on your house, a disability that keeps you out of work for months, if not years. That is what insurance is for. Now, insurance is a weird thing. It's one of those few areas of life that our ideal outcome is to regularly pay for a service that we never or very rarely use. Having disability insurance doesn't mean I want to get sick or injured and feel like I'm getting screwed if it never happens. Instead, I'm happy to pay for the peace of mind insurance provides while hoping that I never need it. There are five core types of insurance most families need. In order of how often most families have claims, these are health, auto, home or renter's insurance, long-term disability, and life insurance. Each of these types could be their own podcast episode, and maybe someday they will be. Instead, today I just want to give you a few tips. First, don't overlook long-term disability insurance. So many people believe this is only for workplace injuries. But those injuries actually represent less than 5% of long-term disability claims. Claims on long-term disability insurance are mostly health issues or outside accidents. So many of us know or at least have heard of life insurance, but we're actually more likely to lean on disability insurance. The U.S. Census Bureau estimates that one in five American workers will become disabled at some point in their career. In most cases, not permanently, but you're still going to need income during that time. My first boss on Wall Street, the first person ever to tell me I needed to sign up for our company's long-term disability policy, was diagnosed with a rare form of brain cancer in his early 50s. Symptoms came on quickly, and he couldn't write or speak, and he had to leave his job. After three years of treatment and surgeries, he passed away. It was horrible for him, his wife, and everyone who knew him as a kind, caring man who seemed completely healthy up until that point. And I don't know what his wife, who didn't work outside the house and needed to help care for him during those years, what she would have done without his long-term disability income. It meant they could get health insurance, stay in their apartment, and keep things as stable as they could during that difficult situation. 
If your family depends on your income, long-term disability insurance can be a huge piece of your emergency planning puzzle. On your own, it can be a little expensive depending on your age and how much coverage you want. But many employers offer subsidized plans as a workplace benefit. If your employer offers this, make sure you're opted in. If you're self-employed and don't have a workplace option, look for professional networks in your field that may have more affordable group policies or compare quotes at a website like Policy Genius, policygenius.com forward slash smart money mamas to see what coverage options you have. Second, if you don't have life insurance yet, apply for it. It's cheaper while you're younger and healthier. And if you do have life insurance, make sure you have enough. The life insurance isn't just about covering the cost of your funeral or providing a couple months of expenses. It's about helping keep your family's financial life stable if you can't be there. That may mean having enough insurance to pay off your debts or mortgage. Many people imagine that they would stay in their homes to provide consistency for their kids if their spouse passed away. But if one partner's income isn't enough to get approved for the mortgage on their own, they may be forced to sell. That may mean having enough insurance for your spouse to take six months off from work, to grieve and to care for themselves and the family after you pass. For parents, that often means having enough insurance to cover the cost of childcare or even college. A common rule of thumb for life insurance is to have seven to 10 times your annual income in insurance. If you make $50,000 a year, that's $350,000 to $500,000 in life insurance. This may seem like a massive number, but if you start paying off mortgages and factoring in childcare costs, it may seem a lot more realistic. And remember that for the vast majority of families, term life insurance, which covers you for a set amount of time, the term, is far more affordable and more appropriate than whole or permanent life insurance. We need life insurance when we have people who are dependent on us. For most of us, our kids will grow up and move out, we'll save for retirement so our spouses have assets to lean on if we pass, and the need for significant life insurance, it diminishes. If we outlive our 20 or 30 year term life policy, it will just expire, and that's okay. We don't need it anymore. Permanent life insurance can be five to 15 times more expensive than term life. This is problematic when the higher price for whole or permanent life insurance means you might choose a lower benefit option that may not provide enough resources for your family if you passed. Get the coverage you need with more affordable term life and put the savings towards your other goals. I'll include links in the show notes to today's episode to trusted places to get life insurance quotes, like Policy Genius mentioned earlier, and other resources on determining how much coverage you need. Now, before we go beyond emergency funds and proper insurance, I want to take a quick pause to tell you about our incredible sponsors that help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Debt.com. If you're feeling overwhelmed by monthly payments or balances, but don't know who to turn to, Debt.com can match you with a trustworthy debt solution provider to help you create a solid debt freedom plan. You can learn more by visiting smartmoneymamas.com backslash debt or by calling their free support line at 844-462-8280. Debt.com for when life happens. All right, mamas, now we have an emergency fund and all the proper insurance. What comes next? Well, estate planning, creating a proper will or trust so that your assets and your children go to the people you want them to. I know, I know. You don't want to talk about this. You don't want to make decisions about who would care for your kids, who your life insurance money would go to, and how you would want it to be used who you trust enough to make major healthcare and end-of-life decisions for you. And I get it. I really do. These are hard questions. It's why 6 in 10 American adults don't have a will, and even fewer young parents do. I think the narrative has long made it seem that you need to be wealthy to need a will, 
and certainly that you need to have Zuckerberg or Bezos money to need a trust. So many moms I talk to either tell me they don't have the assets yet to need a will, or they say, I know, I know, I really need to do that, but X, Y, Z reason, I can't do it right now. Our next episode this Thursday will be an in-depth discussion with Heather Satin, an estate attorney, and she's going to answer many of your big questions about estate planning. But I want to tell you a few things first. If you have children under the age of 18, you need a will. Not next year, not when something happens and you're scrambling, right now. A lot of people believe that if something happened to them and to their partner, the best person would end up stepping up and caring for our kids. Our sister we're super close with or a best friend who lives down the street and already knows our kids well. No one, obviously, would be able to replace us, but the best person would be there. Yet, that's not always how it works. Without a will, family court will decide who gets custody of your children. Often it's the person who fights the hardest, and by the hardest, I mean the loudest. That could be whoever has the most financial assets or the person most closely related to your child by blood. And this process, it can take months to over a year. It leaves your kids in limbo and having to make more trips to family court. None of us want that. Luckily, creating a will isn't hard and it doesn't have to be expensive. My husband and I used an estate attorney to create a full living trust. This was actually over $1,000, but it let us get more guidance on handling ownership of smart money mamas in the estate, express more choice about how we wanted our assets to be used for the boys, and when they could get access to the money as adults. Wills, though, can start as little as free. There are places like tomorrow.me where you can create a free will online in less than 20 minutes. Will it be the most customized, comprehensive will out there? Probably not, but it will address your core desires about guardianship and where you want your assets to go. It's a great start. And for some families with limited assets, that's actually enough. If you want to take it to the next level, my favorite online will service is Trust in Will. Their will start at just $69 and walk you through the process beautifully, explaining all the decisions you're making along the way. And they're actually currently offering free wills for healthcare providers amid COVID-19. Whatever you decide today, that can be changed. Whichever is most recent is binding. If you create a will with trust and will today and decide a few years later you want to expand into a living trust or go to an attorney and create a more customized setup, the old will just falls away and whatever your new wishes are will take its place. Even if you think you should wait because your wishes might change, take action now and make the best decision you can and update it if you need to. You won't leave your family without a clear plan. You can explore your options and get started at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash trust and will. And the last thing, have the hard conversations. Talk to your spouse about who you both think the best guardians for your kiddos would be. And before you name someone as a guardian for your kids or a trustee for your assets in your estate plan, ask them if they're willing to pick up the burden. Don't assume. Don't just say you'll talk to them later. This is a lot of responsibility we're potentially passing on to a loved one. In the case of guardians, it would change their lives, and we want to make sure that the people who are named would do it joyfully. And as I said earlier, we're going to dive into wills and trusts more deeply in Thursday's episode with Heather, so be sure to tune in then. I just want you to remember that this is difficult. It is for all of us. Writing down our wishes in black and white can feel scary and morbid and binding. You're not alone in feeling that way. But this is an act of love. This is giving your kids support even when you can't physically be there. It's worth a few hard conversations and a little bit of paperwork, right? Bad news, though. When you're done with your estate plan, you're still not done. We've got two more steps. The final paperwork-heavy step is creating a family emergency binder. 
Life insurance is amazing. It gives your family the money they need to keep consistency in their lives and have time to grieve if you passed away. A will is crucial. It tells your money where to go and who you want in charge. But do you know what those things don't do? They don't tell your spouse how to pay the power bill. They don't tell your partner or your child's new guardian how to contact their doctor or their hockey coach. They don't tell your will's executor how to contact your employer and what benefits you have through work. Our lives have all these details, the little things we do to keep things running, and we're never going to get it all down on paper. It's just too much. But when I was pregnant with Henry, my oldest, and waiting for my life insurance health exam, I started to wonder, what would my husband really do if I was suddenly gone? We have money conversations frequently, but that doesn't mean I'm not the one who pays the bills, shops insurance prices, and manages our investments. Yeah, my life insurance policy would give him the money he needed, but would he know what to do with that money? Our family emergency binder fills that gap. It includes emergency contacts, medical information, insurance details, regular bills, debts, and investments, access codes to your phone, and passwords for your online accounts. We have a page that breaks down step-by-step what my husband should do with a life insurance payout, starting with sticking it in a high-yield savings account for six months while he grieves and takes care of our boys. It won't tell him or a guardian if we were both gone everything he needs to know. But what it does do is relieve some pressure. It keeps him, or me if he was gone, from having to scramble, research, and sort through endless papers in an already emotionally charged time. It gives us a reference place, a playbook. We've since turned our family emergency binder into a fillable template for other families, and we've sold over 6,000 of them. In that process, we've heard some really cool stories from moms who used filling out the binder to have deep, important money conversations with their spouses, who created mini book clubs for accountability with their friends, and they checked each other on filling out all of the sessions, who faced home damage in California fires or the Houston flooding, and were glad to have the binder themselves to lean on when making calls or arrangements, who bought the binder for their parents and worked on it together so they were more confident that they could handle their parents' affairs if their parents weren't able to. You don't have to use our template. You could certainly make your own, but it's such a gift for anyone who ever needs to step into your life and help out, temporarily or permanently. Your final step is fairly simple compared to everything else we talked about today. You've done all the heavy lifting and you've asked yourself the tough questions. So what's left? Packing a grab-and-go bag and laying out day-to-day emergency plans. If you're from an area known for fires, floods, tornadoes, or hurricanes, you're super familiar with this concept. Having the resources, clothes, documents you need if you were displaced by a natural disaster is probably second nature. I'll be honest with you, though. I'm not from an area where that's common. The only time I ever had to evacuate my home was during Hurricane Sandy when my now husband, then roommate, not even boyfriend, and I had to evacuate our apartment on the Hudson River in Jersey City and go to his parents' small one-bedroom home for five days. It's miraculous that we all survived the awkwardness. Seriously, at one point, I had to decide if I was going to stick my head out of the bathroom and call either my now husband, who I had a major crush on, or my future mother-in-law that I had met 12 hours before to help me figure out their crazy shower. A go bag would not have helped me with this decision. But a go bag would have included (laughs) a little bit of cash, copies of important documents like our rental insurance policy, some changes of clothes, phone chargers, and personal hygiene items. Basically, we would have spent less time running around the apartment deciding what to bring with us. If you don't yet have a grab-and-go bag, there is a suggested packing list in the free financial emergency preparedness checklist, which you can find in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 21. Now, we keep a grab-and-go bag handy in the garage. 
We still don't live in a high-risk area, but it's nice to have, even if we were faced with a house fire or other issue. In addition, we have our day-to-day emergency plans. Jeremiah and I have discussed who would grab what or who in the case of a house fire. I have the boys, Jeremiah grabs the dog, our wallets, and calls 911. When we leave the boys overnight with either of our parents, we make sure they have a medical power of attorney for the boys so that they could get them medical care if they needed it. In most states, a non-parent adult, even a relative, cannot get medical care for a child without the parent being present or express written consent. We have phone numbers for the boys' doctors, school, neighbors, and even more organized in our family emergency binder for quick reference. In short, we have a plan. Mama, all of this may seem a little over the top if you haven't waded into this type of planning before, but I promise you we're not bunker-in-the-backyard zombie apocalypse preppers. I am an anxious person, though. I worry about my kids, my spouse, and my family. These steps will not only make it easier for my loved ones if a worst-case scenario ever happened, but it also gives me mental peace. I know wholeheartedly that I've done the best I can, that these steps, which in reality didn't take me that long, let me love and care for my family even if I couldn't be mentally or physically present. I highly recommend you do the same. So what were those five steps? Let's do a quick recap. One, create a robust emergency fund to support you financially through unexpected twists and turns of life. Two, getting proper insurance, health, home and auto, long-term disability, and life insurance to cover all those things our emergency fund can't. Two, completing an estate plan with a will or living trust so our wishes will be known and honored even after we're gone. Four, compiling a complete family emergency binder so our loved ones have a playbook on how to handle our finances, healthcare, and provide stability for our kids during an emergency. Five, packing a grab-and-go bag and having household plans to handle disasters. Take it one piece at a time. You've got this. Mamas, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about effective family emergency planning. I hope you're feeling confident in the steps you can take to provide more stability for your family and reduce your own mental load. You can view the full show notes of this episode with links to all the resources mentioned, including your free copy of our financial emergency preparedness checklist in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 21. Thank you again for listening to the Smart Money Mama show. Tell your mama friends. And thank you to our awesome sponsor, Debt.com, for helping me make this episode possible. Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time.